Well, I realised um, that we're sitting here having a very interesting yes. dramatic discussion with <laughs> ourselves, so we might as well have it uh, um, uh, to, to involve all of you too. So welcome to the, uh, the fifth and final one of our um, Hugh Blair series of uh, dialogues celebrating the 250th anniversary of English literature from 1762 and the appointment of Hugh Blair to the first ever Regis Chair of Rhetoric and Lettres, the antecedent of English literature, uh, to 2012. And we have a thoroughly contemporary um, take this evening, uh, but it actually begins with a slightly historical slant. So uh, I have with me a distinguished panel, as you can see before me. I, I will um, introduce them very briefly and uh, then set them loose on drama and theatre and performance in Scotland which is not the most likely topic, as everybody believes that there is no drama and theatre and performance historically in Scotland because Calvinism killed it off. Um, it's clearly untrue, and these people are going to prove uh, to us all, I think, that it is. So let me introduce, first of all, Peter Arnott on my right, who's currently a resident playwright at the Genomics Forum in the University of, of Edinburgh, and you can't get very much more contemporary than that. Uh, it's in partnership with the Traverse Theatre that uh, we also at IASH have a, a partnership with and a creative fellowship with, so this is something that um, a, uh, we've invested a, a great deal of energy in and have had hugely energetic response um, from our playwrights and from uh, the Traverse uh, as well. Peter's been working professionally as a playwright since 1985 when the boxer Benny Lynch and White Rose opened in the same week at Glasgow Arts Centre and the Traverse um, in Glasgow and Edinburgh, uh, respectively. And he's since had um, a run of successful plays, including Muir, Losing Alec, The Wire Garden, and Cyprus, uh, as well as translations and adaptations, such as Neil Gunn's The Silver Darlings, re quite recently, uh, which uh, came on in Aberdeen, if that was right. Yeah. yeah the King's um, Theatre here. King's Theatre. Oh, right, yeah. And then um, he's done screenplays, cabaret, song lyrics, so he's a very versatile uh, playwright. Um, his play, The Breathing House, won the TMA Best Play Award in 2003, and he was a recipient of uh, one of the prestigious and sought-after Creative Scotland Awards in 2007. And from 2008 to 2011, he was writer-in-residence with John Murray Archive, so he's no stranger to um, a, a quite versatile range of, <laughs> of placements of that, of that kind. Uh, and I know that was very much valued by the University and uh, the National Library as well. Um, so there is Peter on my far left, uh, David McLennan, who's an actor. Always on the far uh, left. Says, always on the far left. He insisted on sitting on the far <laughs> left, didn't he? We were all wanted that position, but he got it. So, yeah. <laughs> so David is a, an actor, a writer, and a producer, um, and everybody will, will know at, at the, the very least uh, his name in one of those uh, contexts. Um, he's been associated with a um, large number of innovative, very creative, imaginative theatrical projects. Um, he was one of the founders of the 784 uh, Theatre Company in 1973, which is a, a historic moment, I think, for drama in Scotland, and theatre in Scotland, um, together with his sister Elizabeth and, and her husband John McGrath. And in relation to that, uh, he established a repertoire and audience for radical political <coughs> theatre in Scotland, and then on the back of that founded the Wildcat Company, and was one of the driving forces behind Glasgow's Mayfest. In addition to his directing and um, dramaturgical uh, um, c 
careers. He's a prolific and successful playwright, has produced, uh, has, has written plays produced not only in the Citizens Theatre in Glasgow, but also in the Tricycle Theatre in Kilburn, the Shaw Theatre, um, and the Theatre Royal Stratford East, um, which is described somewhere or another as the very cradle of British political theatre. So, um, but since 2004, David has been the creator, really, of the series and the producer of A Play, A Pie, and A Pint, which has um, been a wonderful sequence, which has appeared uh, in Oran Moor and also at the Traverse here. And anyone who, like me, has been to any of those will, uh, uh, will know that they have a very particular ambiance and, and success to, to, to themselves. And those are a sort of lunchtime series that showcase a new play each week um, in a very tight, uh, very beautifully disciplined time schedule, uh, which enables people like bankers to come and uh, you know, get some culture in their lunch hours, but, but also lets the rest of us out of our administrative tasks for a short time. And then um, on my left, <laughs> but not quite so far After left, <laughs> on my left, but not quite so far left, and certainly not least if, if last, um, is my friend and colleague Olga Taxidou, who uh, many of uh, us will know as, as a, a colleague, uh, a, a substantial playwright in her own right and, and translator of Greek drama, um, and also uh, a scholar and um, very important uh, work that she's done in, in modernism and the uh, modern theatre. Um, she has a, uh, a book on the mask and uh, on Edward Gordon Craig, which is a, a standard, um, uh, well indeed it is the standard work in, in the area, and a work on tragedy, modernity and, and mourning, as well as her um, uh, co-edited major anthology on, on modernism. And Olga is um, a different kind of empresario because she's just been kind of appointed the college drama and theatre oh, and creative empresario. Yes. Yes. yes, that's right. So she, she is doing a lot of coordinating of, um, uh, of the university's uh, dramatic links with uh, theatre in Scotland. So as you can see, we have a, a, a panel unparalleled in their uh, experience and, and expertise to talk to us about why there is and has always been a, uh, a real and substantial uh, and important theatrical tradition in Scotland. Um, I wanted a little hook to take us back to Hugh Blair, and the most obvious one um, is that uh, in 1756, when Hugh Blair, this was before he had actually um, uh, started lecturing on rhetoric and belles but he was establishing himself as, as one of the literati in the Scottish Enlightenment. And uh, he took part in a play reading by, uh, of a, a new play by his friend uh, and to some extent protégé, John Hume, called Douglas. And uh, this play, when it was first performed, uh, created an absolute uproar in Scotland, uh, a, a wonderful joy and celebration that Scotland had at last a drama <laughs> in the uh, unionist period that could um, stand on its own and be performed at Drury Lane and would not be uh, rejected by Garrick out of hand as all of other um, uh, human plays uh, had been. Um, and there was a play reading uh, which was, took place behind closed doors because most of the people who participated in it were actually members of the Kirk of Scotland <laughs> and practicing ministers and amongst them was Hugh Blair 
who played um, the very worthy but not terribly large part of uh, the maid in Douglas <laughs> in the play routine. Um, amongst the other uh, non-actors um, uh, in the read-through were David Hume, uh, who played uh, the villain, which was uh, entirely appropriate in terms of his um, theological credentials at least. Um, Adam Ferguson, uh, Alexander Carlyle. Indeed, it reads now like a, a roster of uh, the Illuminati of uh, Scottish Enlightenment. Um, it's a play, isn't it? it yeah, and it it's is a play. A play. Yeah. Yes, it is, but it's a play about the play. And yeah. it's a play about the play. Yeah, and in fact, there's, there is some evidence to suggest that Hume didn't really write this on, uh, David Hume, uh, sorry, John Hume, John that Hume. is, did not really write this on his own, but it was actually a play by committee that some of his friends, including Blair and Hume, said, well, that's not a very good line. You know, how about if we say this instead? Um, anyway, when this play re received its first rapturous, uh, acclaimed performance, there was uh, the immortal uh, shout from the audience, while Shakespeare knew, which was the, uh, um, though I'm sure a much broader accent than I can muster at this point, um, uh, shouted from the uh, from the pit, and it became something of a cause celeb. So th there is a point to start to say that. Mm. Okay, there is a theatrical tradition in Scotland. Yes, yeah. and and again, if I can, we can use that maybe as a frame because the event itself and the secret reading, I think, mm -hmm. touches upon some of the interesting kind of contradictions and maybe some of the myths that helped create this perception that there isn't uh, a theatrical tradition in Scotland. First of all, because of Calvinism, because of the lack of a high literary tradition within the literary, literary theatrical tradition within the Scottish Enlightenment. Mm. But if we go back to that secret reading itself, if we look at you know, the difficult relationship, as it were, between the church and the theater is itself an actor, exposed, the absence of female performers, mm. um, sure. the Reverend John Hume was himself a classicist, so the, the, the Greek legacy that the, the Scottish Enlightenment carries as well. But there's also the notion that, like you say, the play maybe have been a collaborative piece of work. Mm -hmm. But that was heavily inspired by the popular tradition but, and by ballads. And then in turn itself, uh, it has been said you know, mm. that it mm. inspired the Ossian, the Ossian Circle. It was the first play that Robert Burns saw, etc. Yes. And I'm glad that you pronounced it where you're that line, because <laughs> I could never do it in any, in any accent whatsoever. <laughs> but I would like to read from the introduction um, that John Hume himself wrote. And this is the manuscript at the St. Andrews Library in, in Robert Crawford's Scottish, Scotland's book series. And he says, foretold by Carlyle, now the time is come when Scotia bears the palm from Greece and Rome, when the learned youth, wits of the present age, no more need form their taste onto the translated page, when bows and bells old Shakespeare shall deride, and bucks and bloods cast Rochester aside. So it does everything, both for <laughs> the pornographic yeah. and the high literary. Yeah. And as, as Susan said, it created a big roar at the time, a big kind of kerfuffle, both civically and, and politically. And it has itself generated and contributed to the literature of pamphlet writing, of course. Mm. And all those pamphlets are in the National Library of, of Scotland now. So maybe we could kick off that, that and pass over to you, David. That, well, maybe that historical uh, relationship. Yes, you? I've always 
been very interested in, in what I would call the hidden history of Scottish theatre. And before I knew I was being invited to come and speak today, I was rather obsessed with the number 250 myself because we were about to do our 250th play at Oran Moore. And um, I was casting around for a suitable subject and um, stumbled across the fact that uh, Joanna Bailey was born 250 years ago in Glasgow. I knew nothing about Joanna Bailey and read around a bit. I, I've not done a lot of deep research, but I discovered that she was a playwright, that she had a considerable output, that she ran a rather well-known literary salon in Hampstead, that she was a friend of Walter Scott's who she stayed with when she was up here, that her plays were indeed performed by the leading actors of the day in London, and she had been written out of history. Except that uh, recently, um, a young Scottish director, Bronwyn Carr, uh, produced one of her plays, Witchcraft, at the mm -hmm. Finborough Theatre in London. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, well, what a great subject for our 250th play. And I commissioned Catherine Lucy Zakowska, Scottish playwright who lives in Ayrshire, to uh, write a play about it. And um, she got back to me ultimately and said, yes, I'll do it, but I can't do it for your 250th. Um, and in fact, we ended up uh, because I'm, I suppose, a bit lazy academically, doing a play about Rousseau because he published the social contract 250 years ago. There had to be 250 in it somewhere. <laughs> um, and indeed, you mentioned Hume um, in the reading of, of the uh, Douglas. Hume, of course, w looked after Rousseau when he, when he came to the UK, um, Great Britain, and, um, and indeed commissioned um, Alan Ramsey to do a portrait of him which hangs in the portrait gallery up the road. Uh, but this moving uh, forward a bit in the, the hidden history thing, I think one of the things that made me personally most conscious of that was in the early 80s when I think although we were a little bit aware of some of the history of radical theatre, mm. it wasn't uppermost in our minds. And in 1982, John McGrath uh, had the idea of doing a season of plays from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, which was called the Clyde Bilt season. Mm. And it was um, the midwife on that project was an academic, Linda McKenney, who delved deep into the, um, the playwriting of those periods and came up with some really extraordinary plays, like Men Should Weep, by Ina Lamont Stewart, <coughs> like In Time of Strife by Joe Corey, um, Goldney's Boots, um, and a play by Ewan McCall, the title of which I... Uh, Johnny Noble. Johnny <coughs> Noble. And also Lambs of God by Benedict. Yes, Sunday. although we didn't produce it. It's great, though. It's a marvelous It's really interesting. Um, Giles wanted to do it, uh, wanted to direct that one, yeah. but McGrath told him, you're doing Men Should We. He did very well. Um, and I... Not only was that something of an eye-opener, I think, for a lot of us, in that it, it, it revealed a continuity, um, but also when you <coughs> dug around the subject, uh, you discovered why some of these writers had become, uh, I don't think suppressed is too strong a word, and it was because uh, the Citizens Theatre, which was the powerhouse of new writing, felt they were inappropriate writers. And um, 
discouraged, particularly Ian Lamb and Stewart, from uh, continuing as a playwright. Uh, again, the, and the, so the same thing is true of Joe, um, 20 years earlier, with Joe, Joe Corey, and in, in Time of Strife, uh, his local, um, a, a, a local amateur group, um, called the, the Bowhill Miners, had, um, had toured in Time of Strife to great acclaim, all, all through the UK, but they couldn't play the Citizen Theatre in Glasgow. Um, because that, because the bribery would just wouldn't happen there, uh, and and, it, and it's that, but in a way that kind of that tension of that uh, that is described by having to do the read the Douglas in secret the first time is in a strange way the sit there's the same kind of tension uh, has that well used to use the word dialectic has existed all the way through in a particularly with a particularly Scottish neurotic kind of, of flavour to it um, really all I, I think. Um, it still exists to this day. I think, while we're being slightly autobiographical, it was actually seeing um, In Time of Strife um, was one of the things that made me want to write plays. It, ma it, it made me write Benny Lynch yeah. in Scots because I thought, because again, even growing up in the 1960s and 70s, um, one thought of the Scots language as being something that was done um, that was just funny. That was just for comedy. That was that, that that couldn't describe anything serious. That couldn't you could uh, whereas uh, and therefore the people who spoke Scots, uh, you know, as in the, the working classes of Scotland, couldn't be taken seriously because they didn't speak properly. So there was a, that that kind of uh, and, and so that idea. Um, it was for me. It was, a, it was an enormously um, moving experience. That seeing was the a, time of strife. That was an experience shared by a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, we were talking earlier 20, about just right some age. of the. Um, <laughs> Some of the antecedents to uh, 20th century theatre work in Scotland, and I remember going um, as a 14-year-old to the Theatre Royal Stratford East and seeing Joan Littlewood's production of Oh, What a Lovely War mm -hmm. with John McGrath and my sister Liz. And I have absolutely no doubt that that production was hugely influential in our starting 784. It was, it was a revelation. Um, Funny enough, our next door neighbour in Glasgow was Jimmy Logan, the comedian, and uh, we used to go regularly to the Five Past Eight show, which was the sort of last flourishing of variety. So the format of Oh, What a Lovely War was extremely familiar. But what was not familiar was the content being so ferociously polemical and uh, delivered in working class accents and lampooning the ruling classes of, of the, the First World War. Um, and uh, in my own case, I think it had the sort of impact that mm. in time of strife had on you. I thought, this is something I would like to do. Sure. This is fun, and this is uh, powerful and moving. And when the Chibit was first produced, um, and one or two subsequent productions, like the games of Ogie and, and Little Red Hen and others, a great many theatre makers of the future saw people on stage from their background. People like Elaine C. Smith and Jimmy Chisholm, and I could go on and on and on, who came to village halls and community centres around the country and, and saw this work and thought, suddenly you don't have to wear a bow tie and have a tennis racket in a press <laughs> to be an actor. Um, so. I think that hidden history and, and, the, and the extraordinary continuities uh, something that's fascinating. And I'm sure there's a great deal more unearthing between Joanna Bailey and uh, Joe Corey 
Mm. Uh, yeah. So I think Ian, Ian Brown at, um, at, at doing some research on this for I think Queen Margaret. I think, I think he's going to be publishing something at some t at some this, this year. I think about, about, about you know the, the mm. about the missing plays. But, that, but there, there, are lo there are lots and lots of them. But I think it, it is it is this but this tension between because in, in the strike because talking about David's thing uh, we were talking about uh, earlier on um, about uh, the difference between uh, if you like a kind of uh, dramaturgical vision of what playmaking is where you have plays in development for a long long time where you have a lot of intervention from directors and dramaturgs a kind of European sensibility which is actually quite new in Scotland it doesn't really happen it's in the 1990s really that sort of started and David's um, um, approach, which is which is two hundred and fifty plays and counting, and mine was the two hundred and forty ninth. I think we're at two hundred and fifty three by now, something like that. But yeah. it's but but the, but uh, and where there is no dramaturgical input whatsoever, other than that, that's when you start rehearsing. You've got three actors, three can't afford anymore. Go, um, and which uh, is, 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 is kind of much more. Well, I don't know. I think that's the essential part of theatre making. The other dramaturgical stuff is always um, the optional stuff. But but that tension between uh, it's uh, that. There's no theatrical tradition is never one thing. It seems to me it's always a tension between at least two things. So that so that you're always tracing the history of a conflict and never the history of, of a. It, so it's not. So in other words, the uh, the kind of canonical view uh, of here's the canon and this leads naturally to this leads leads to this. I, d I don't think that's ever actually true. I think it's always yeah. a fight. Um, I think I think yeah. we you know theatre makers are plunderers. Um, they call it a tribute, um, or uh, a quote, or homage, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and they plunder whatever they find interesting mm -hmm. uh, from whatever tradition uh, is appropriate to the moment. Mm. And um, you know, the Cheviot, uh, the Stag, and the Black Black Oil plundered the Cayley format. Um, more recently, David Gregg's Prudentia Heart plundered the Border Ballad. Mm -hmm. Um, and even within such productions, other forms will be borrowed. And, and, uh, uh, yes, because pantheons are always personal. They're not. They're, they're, they're not just social things. They're, they're not. They're, they're not something you can really um, define academically in lots of ways. Because there, there's so much to do with accident, and so much to do with what you happen to see when you were the right age to see it. Um, yes, and that kind of thing. But at the same time, you know, theatrical forms have a history themselves, sure. and and from the Clyde Bill season and and the plays that that you spoke about, b both of you kind of referred to a local, uh, popular performance mm -hmm. tradition. At the same time, that tradition also taps into international tradition of avant-garde theatre, particularly yes. in the twenties and the thirties. And you and McCall had the Salford Red megaphones before before he came mm -hmm. up to Glasgow, where he worked with Laban. So th the interesting thing about this tradition in Scottish theatre that you're charting is that it also has a kind of parallel, and it intersects with yeah. a lot of experiments going on in, in Europe, at least, and um, the yes. Federal Theatre Project that in the US. That was very much the, the driving force behind setting up Mayfest, mm -hmm. that we wanted to expose audiences and theatre makers to other radical theatre-making mm -hmm. traditions. And so we brought over a Teatro Escambrai from Cuba, Teatro Peter Mali from mm. with Stars in the Morning Sky from yes. Uh, yes. Leningrad is now St. Petersburg. Yes. Um, and, um, and many, many other examples. And I think one of the interesting things about the Scottish intellectual life, uh, 
both in academia and in the theatre and all the arts, is that we are not inward-looking. We don't mm -hmm. find the idea of Europe frightening. Uh, we don't, I suppose, because being a small, relatively sterile country uh, with mm -hmm. poor soil, we've exported uh, people. Uh, well, there have been some notable tours by small Scottish companies in, I mean, for example, in Bosnia and Sarajevo mm -hmm. at the height of conflict, which oh, yes. made a huge impact uh, yes. recently in, yes. in terms of European yes. um, theatre in, in theatres of conflict, mm -hmm. you know, precisely yes. at moments. And, like and vice versa. Um, last year I did a season of six plays by uh, young Latin American writers, mm. and, and we were just about to do six plays which we've commissioned from young writers all over the Arab world. Mm. And there is no evidence that the audiences are less interested mm. in those than they are mm. by contemporary mm. young it's, 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 it's a very interesting phenomenon that you, that you only achieve with a continuity of production, which, which David has achieved at, um, at um, Oran Moore. Um, well, as I say, 250 shows in seven years, um, roughly. Um, which is an, an audience will come. And it's not that they become passive or, uh, or um, so they become, uh, but they do become accepting. They say, "Well, we trust that we will, when we come to this place, we'll get something worthwhile." It may be a bit peculiar. It may be, it may be, com com it may be comes from somewhere where we're, we're not familiar with. It may be straight down the line panto, which it is some of the time, yeah. and you know, and, and or it may be based on Edward Hopper. One of my very favourites is that it's based on Edward Hopper painting Nighthawks. I absolutely adored that yeah. an opera, a mini opera, extraordinary. Um, it, but it could be uh, lots and lots of different things. But the audience, but because you create the continuity, the audience is there for it. And it's 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 the single biggest lesson which anyone who's involved with funding the arts or, uh, or, or legislating for the arts in any way has to understand that you know it's it's it's, it's it sounds like it's a terrible cliche, but it's true because it's simple because it's, it, we just build it and they will come. Isn't it? If you have it there, they will come. And if you know, it, it, it's it, continuity is is almost everything. Do you also feel that you train the audience? Yeah. In sure. a way of reading a play and interacting Absolutely. with a play? And, yeah. Well, also, I mean, we have audiences now, of course, see more drama than, of course, than at any other time in the past. I mean, so because you see it on the television, you see it in the in movies, so you see more drama. But the, but, but, yeah, but audiences, I don't, I don't know whether it's, it's a, a modern phenomenon or not, but I just know from experience that audiences are extraordinarily quick. Audiences are very smart. The collective intelligence of audience, maybe it's something to do with the wisdom of crowds or something, is that audiences are, are, are very quick to uh, understand a new form, but are also very quick to tell you when something is dull. I mean, it's one of the great Darwinian facts of, because uh, <laughs> theatre is, theater is, is a completely non-moral space, however much we might pretend otherwise sometimes. Um, and, and, and if your show is dull, then it doesn't matter what you're saying, it doesn't matter how worthy you are, your bottom doesn't care, you know, because it starts to be like that. <laughs> and that's, that's, you know, it's, a, it's just a fact of life. Yeah, yeah. yeah and some of the, the great establishment figures, I mean, going back to what you were saying about musical traditions, I mean, Walter Scott's novels were adapted as plays and he I mean he called it the terrification because Terry was the actor who sort of turned these into spectaculars mm -hmm. and, and they they were hugely popular and, mm -hmm. and again drew on popular song and, mm -hmm. and traditions of dance and costume and you know, extravaganzas yes. of all kinds. And it, you know it's it's a sort of bridge between 
the high culture and um, yes. something that you know simply fills theatre. Well, I don't. Yeah. I really don't recognise high culture and low culture. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a construct. Uh, I don't know who does it, mm. but it's not the people <laughs> who make it. Right. And I, yes. my experience in in the field of music is that orchestral musicians who play classical works. Uh, tend to be interested in folk and R&B and mm. all kinds of forms. People who work in the visual arts have eclectic tastes, mm. uh, which embrace, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, comic books and and uh, great portraiture and abstract and, mm. and, and futuristic and surreal and and uh, and that is definitely true in the theatre. I I don't know a, a living theatre maker. A writer or director or great actor who would recognize that something was great art or not great art. They would characterize it as good of its kind or not good of its kind. And certainly my experience at Oran Moore where there is an extraordinary high output of work is that, that people are perfectly capable of saying this is a bit of light froth but it's bloody good light froth, right, yeah, or this yeah. is a bit of light froth and it's a turkey. Uh, <laughs> and this is a bit it's of very cross. serious <laughs> theatre <laughs> about something really important yeah. and, and you turkey. got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But never mind, because there's another one along next week. Yeah. Yes. And that, that's yeah. really important. Yeah. Yeah. There's another one, yeah, yeah. And, 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 but, but in a way, because I, I, it's, it's, it's interesting, maybe the, I don't know whether it's specific to Scotland or not, maybe you know, when we open this up, maybe we find out. Um, but, if there is a if, if there's always a tension, what is it a tension between? And if it's not, and I, I agree with David, I don't think it's between proponents of high culture and proponents of popular culture. I think it may have been once upon a time, but uh, it's certainly not that now. It's uh, but my experience of, of, of working in the theatre in Scotland um, is that there's a, is that there are there are centres of gravity um, and centres of privilege, if you like. Which when I first came here in the, in the 1980s. Uh, the place that was doing new writing was the Traverse. So therefore, most new writers hated the Traverse with a vicious passion um, <laughs> and uh, loathed everything that they stood for and, uh, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and always would hark back to the previous director. So when Peter Lichtenfels was in charge of the Traverse, which he was when I uh, first uh, uh, um, came back to Scotland from university down south, um, everyone was like, oh, Chris Parr, Chris Parr was wonderful, you know, Chris Parr did all this. And then Peter Lichtenfels left, people were nostalgic of Peter Lichtenfels when Jenny Killick took over, etc., etc., etc. But now, of course, the centre of gravity in Scottish theatre is, is the National Theatre of Scotland. Mm. It's that now, that, and, and so now, you, so, so, and it's just, it's changed, so the whole thing has changed. So the Traverse is actually slightly marooned, I think, at the moment. I mean, uh, the Traverse is, is, is in search of a role for itself, I think. Slightly, and I say that as, as being employed by them at the moment. So I obviously hope to give them a steer. Um, but you know, that's that's. Uh, but uh, there's so that dialectic, and if you like, is um, it's it's something to which which John and Vicky, God love them, have inherited, whether they wanted to or not. And that that that's, that, that was that was always going to be uh, a, a kind of focus, not only of aspiration but of resentment. But that focus of resentment, you think, you think of resenting we, um, something always makes you want to do better. So actually it's, a bit of an, it's always an engine for creativity as well as everything else. And, and since you mentioned the National Theatre yes. of Scotland, do yeah. you think as an institution it both kind of taps into this long tradition that, you, that, that you've mm. been sketching yes. out and obviously contributes to it? Because it is particular to the way it constructs its nationhood 
and yes. the way it behaves as an it's, institution it's itself. Absence of, it? It's absence of a building is absolutely mm -hmm. key really to its mm -hmm. attitude. It, yeah. What it does is it looks at each individual proposal, script, work, and it says, what is right for this? Mm -hmm. Or it looks at village halls in the Highlands and mm -hmm. says, what is right for that? Mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. um, and therefore, it, it's not it needs a huge variety of people mm. to produce the work it produces. And it's, it's, uh, it's a hotbed of young talent. Yes. It takes young talent on board and nurtures mm. it, uh, not necessarily in production, but giving, giving them mm. space to work and, and experiment. And um, it's extraordinarily ambitious in many different Mm. areas of theatre making. And do you see it as changing the theatrical landscape in Scotland broadly? I mean, is it going to change what you do and what you do? Yes, I, well, mm. I think it's, it's, it's important in a number of ways. First of all, in a very straightforward way, it is funded directly by the Scottish executive mm. and it's new money. And because it co-produces so much, it's mm. injecting money into the theatre economy. Mm. And that's very important. It, uh, it's it's interested in all sorts of traditions and in pushing them in different directions. Um, uh, I suppose Black Watch was a classic mm. example mm. of that. You, you, within a very short time of being at that show, one became aware of it was plugged into a tradition, mm. but it used all sorts of techniques which that tradition didn't have. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, and I think there are many examples of, mm. of that. Can I yes. steer the conversation a little bit towards, um, because you've been turning out a tradition, but there's also a tradition of training and educating mm -hmm. and the studio work, that, you know, the, the process. This, is, this comes into it, and because we're in the university, and mm -hmm. we want to develop more stuff about training and the relationship between theatre and pedagogy. Do you think... Do you have opinions about this? Do you think that there are Funny there enough. good ways and <laughs> bad ways? You'll be amazed to hear I've got opinions. <laughs> um, one of the things I've tried to do since I started Oral Law was to develop relationships with institutions of higher education. And I'm delighted that we now have a, a, a close relationship with Edinburgh. And part of the playwriting course is going to be producing a 50-minute play and we hope we will produce the best one at Arnhem Moor. Mm. And we have various relations with other universities. And I think it's very important, not, it's important for me, because it's a great source of young talent. But I think it also is important for you, students who are studying theatre and drama to combine the theoretical and the practical. Mm. I think you learn a tremendous amount that relates to the theory you're learning by doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, when you go into a, a rehearsal room, uh, you may not have Stanislavski up, uppermost in your mind, mm. but when you go back into the tutorial room mm. and you've done a piece of work practically, yes. then that gives, uh, throws that academic work into mm. high relief. And I think it's also, it's part of, if you like, the artistic life is to teach. I think it, al it, mm. al it always has been because there's no way, uh, better way to sharpen your own ideas about what you do than to attempt to pass it on mm. um, because it forces you to try and boil it down into a, a digestible 
I mean, you can pretend it's all genius and instinct, but it really isn't. And most of it, and most of it's carpentry, really. Putting a play together is carpentry, um, and and you can teach it, and you can actually teach quite a lot mm. about the structure of, of playwriting, I think. Mm. Um, and I mean, I've always thought that playwrights are only incidentally writers. I mean, there are some some very successful playwrights I think who aren't writers at all in any mm. kind of meaningful way. But what they all are is actors with pencils. Mm. Um, they are all people who can who who tell who can tell a story in that way. And there are some people, some act, some playwrights have been enormously educated and cultured, like myself. Um, but there are some who have, who've, ba who've barely read a book, um, who are who are who are very good, because um, it's not actually it, it's it's a strange skill. But it is a skill. Uh, it's a craft. That I think we passed on. I mean, I, I like the fact that in English, um, playwright is spelled W R I G H T. Yeah. I think that's appropriate. Yeah. Well, what about your experience as a, a writer in residence, I mean, right. particularly in relation to the current thing of the genomics forum? And what, what, what has that done for you? And what do you think well, it's done well, for the well, genomics? Well, 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 what it, it's, well, what's interesting about that is that I is that I'm not. It, do, it doesn't involve me doing any teaching at all. It yeah. involves me learning. It involves yeah. me um, being um, somebody who who knows well, knew a little bit. I mean, I'd read a bit, of, uh, and but then actually trying to make myself relatively current with um, new thinking in the life sciences, which is um, comes under the rubric of genomics these days. And I was going, hmm, what's that? Does it have anything to do with garden gnomes? The gene gnome, what's it? I have no idea. Um, and so I, I bluffed my way into getting the job um, by pretending I knew more than I did. But, um, and then, and, but then, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's been a, a, an educational experience for me as a pupil, but not rather than as a teacher, which has been terrific. Um, I mean, I, I, mean I, I did when I was at the National Library of Scotland, or when I worked for, I did work, worked for Glasgow University for a while, teaching on their junior honours playwriting course there, um, and and that's a much much more straightforward kind of thing. And for the Travis, I'll do workshops. Um, but it, but what's really interesting, and this is my first experience of this, um, I, although I suppose the John Murray archive again, um, it was a la it was treating the somebody a working playwright as somebody to who to who's going to do research. And what was what's interesting about it is that the is that I was allowed to research without there being an academic form that pre-existed that I had to turn my research in after three years into um, a fifty thousand word thesis. I didn't have to do that. I, I could turn it into whatever I liked, whenever whenever I wanted to. Which is mm -hmm. marvelous. Um, it's luxury. Um, and it, what it, what it's done in the genomics forum, and I'm, I am doing. Um, well, it's on Thursday, Thursday, a week on Thursday, actually. Um, at, there's a one-night, one-hour Traverse Digest um, thing of my residency. But, uh, but I'm not then going to write a play. Because I, so the, the residency has been terrific. It's allowed me to actually just learn and then write a play, as opposed to start pretending I could write a play before I'd learned the stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's been a really, really creative um, mm -hmm. residency, and a creatively thought-out residency, That's I think. That's very interesting, yes. Because, I mean, from the... The other perspective, I mean, uh, as I mentioned, we mm. we have um, playwrights in residence at, at uh, the Institute for Advanced Studies, and uh, one of the things that I observe is that there are enormously um, energising forces in the community of mm. scholars, and I, and I think one of the things that is has has been very encouraging about having that sequence of of uh, creative fellowships is that it enables our fellows. To you know, get in touch with the fact that academics are actually quite creative people. Yes, they just get it squashed out of them, well, and, you know, and they get it squashed out of them by you know all the things that well we all know about. 
Um, but that you don't need that you just need to sort of scratch the surface and they're there and yes. and I mean I don't I don't think by any means that it, it's a, a sort of one way benefit. No, I mean, absolutely not. You know our our playwrights whom we've had have always been enormously grateful. Most I keep saying, well, you know, actually we're grateful for you because they've really changed the the, the sense. Well, I think there is a social there, there, there is a social dynamic because, because our because our job is only to be astonished by stuff and amazed by stuff. What what what, what therefore communicates best to me in, in the context of genomics or in the context of the library is the personal enthusiasm of a researcher for a particular area. Because I don't know what they're talking about, but I recognize their enthusiasm. And they recognize mine. And the, the enthusiasm is then start having a conversation. And that uh, has, has, become, has been liberating, or it seems. For, I mean, for example, um, with this, the wonderful, um, the, uh, the, the chief curator of the John Murray Archive at the, at the National Library of Scotland is David McLean. And he's fantastic. And just, and just getting him to kind of open up and, and talk enthusiastically about stuff he knows lots about to a perhaps different audience to what he's used to. Uh, and it's 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 a very it's a it's a great thing and um and 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 just to, and so when I got to the, got to the genomics forum I basically I would I, I didn't formally interview people because I think that puts them off mm. is that I would make sure I could engage with every, with the visit various visiting scholars who came and some engaged with it and some didn't um as so I said well what we you know tell me tell me a really good book tell me you know tell me about a really good thing paper that someone's written mm. or whatever just to kind of um. To, to spot with what sparks your interest, and hopefully the, the enthusiasms then communicate. On our, um, the, the, and the, the hierarchy, if you like, of teacher people doesn't exist, which is which is quite, I think was quite interesting. It would just become people entertaining each other, which is nice. Mm. I think a very good example of the value of this, these kind of relationships is um, uh, the book John McGraw wrote after the uh, a, a oh, term yes. visiting as a visiting lecturer in Cambridge at Trinity Hall, mm -hmm. the book A Good Night Out, Good which night is really out, yes. a definitive mm -hmm. statement of what we were trying to do, mm -hmm. uh, the kind of theatre we were trying to make and the various influences that mm -hmm. were brought to bear on it. Mm -hmm. And John couldn't have done that without the time mm -hmm. to uh, reflect and deliver weekly lectures. And the students, of course, benefited enormously True. because mm -hmm. they were mm -hmm. getting from a practitioner mm -hmm. um, and a, theor and a theorist. And a theorist. It doesn't always have to be either or. No, no, no. I mean, I think we are, we make choices uh, when like, to be yeah. a writer, a director, a producer, whatever, but we don't give up our theoretical mm. interests, our mm. academic mm. interests. Mm. And we may be lesser academics and better producers, but we have a lot in common. Yes. Mm. And there's a lot in common also between the classroom and the theatre as, as mm -hmm. a setting, as a civic space, yes, yes, and yes. again, and, and the church. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we go yes, back so to the Douglas church. and the, the, yeah. the preaching that's element. Because that's where a lot of the theatre was. Yes. It was, in, you know, yeah. was in the preaching. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, going back to Hugh Blair, I mean, of course, Hugh Blair was a, was a force in the pulpit, although not mm. the most forceful force in the pulpit, as, uh, uh, as we've been reminded this year. <laughs> his successor as, as uh, Regis Chair was actually a rather better speaker than oh, he was in many respects. But I, I think the, the connection, which has always been there in Scotland between preaching and teaching and performing, <laughs> is, yes. is one that transcends the, the sense of Calvinism yes. simply mm. being a, mm. a, a And actually at the root of uh, almost all of it is, 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 is driven by storytelling. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, the oral tradition in, in Scotland, particularly in, in uh, 
in the Western Isles and in the Highlands had a huge influence. And, and during the Industrial Revolution, mm -hmm. millions of storytellers came to the Central Belt. Mm -hmm. Not just people who told stories, but people who wanted to be told stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's very <coughs> fundamental. I think we're hardwired mm -hmm. for stories. We need them. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to hear them and we need to tell them. I think Scotland is particularly, particularly hardwired in that way. Scots yeah, are. It's interesting. Yeah. I'm very conscious that we've been talking, well, insofar as we've gone back to Calvin, we've also really been talking mainly about the 18th century to now. But I mean, the, there are people in the audience who, who, who know about medieval theatre in Scotland, and I, you know, I wonder whether this is sort of a moment to yes, think about do. continuities yes. that actually. Um, and to take hear, us back and hear, hear some other voices. Sit here, uh, widen our discussion a bit. I mean, if, I mean, of course, we we think of medieval theatre as, as in, an, in a sense one of the great periods of of Scottish uh, theatrical enterprise, and there there have been um, uh, performances, successful performances of uh, uh, more recently of some of our earlier plays. So, I mean, if people want to. Um, Well, I, I, I'm interested you say that because that was what you're expressing was exactly why I asked John McGrath to write a satire of the four estates mm. because it seemed to me that the, the three estates was like a cheviot of its day uh, and, and rather than say well let's do the the three estates again, which audiences in Scotland were fairly familiar with mm. through a number of great productions, mm. it seemed interesting to say, well, what would the other estate be? And of course, it was the media. <laughs> and some of the revisiting that script recently, some of the stuff is mm. so prescient yeah. about what's happening just now. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. it should be a document that should be given to that Lord. <laughs> leave us mm. an inquiry yeah, just, yeah. Right. Yeah. just uh, read because this because it predicted most of it but yeah. I, I'm very interested in, in what yeah. you s say and I think you're mm. uh, true and, and when you say Sarah we don't have a lot of it left 
You mean textually? Because hmm. well, well, this is always an yeah. issue, isn't it? Well, this, how, is, this is a contemporary issue because, yeah. uh, uh, as m more recently, think because publication has been um, cheaper to do, um, uh, more texts have been published. But, uh, but, the, the, but the, uh, of the maybe I don't know, eight a thousand plays produced in Scotland, say, not not even counting Ardmore, in the last. Uh, uh, a, th a thousand, two thousand plays since 1970, how many are actually in print and actually accessible? Very, very yeah. few. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've written about 40, and I think there's five are public. Yeah. Um, so the only person who knows about them is me and Jonathan Miller. But also, no, <laughs> but also the, the, the audiences that saw them, it, it's also the yeah. issue of how do you create an archive of performance yeah. and how do you create an archive of an event? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's only partly true that of course. you only know them. The, they will be part of a different kind of history, yeah. a different kind of passing sure. down, and and there's, I mean, part there's of a cultural memory, I mean, but a cultural know, memory, and a form, a theatrical yeah. form that yeah. will that, also well, that's be true, but but, but, yeah, but academic memory and pub and and um, taught memory mm. relies on publication, and why why is there so little text left? records of people who who went to performances or who were affected or diaries or how diaries do we know work. about them yes what do we well, what do we know about what else there might be not a lot no Nothing's changed. Yes. Because one of the one of the one of the positive things, I mean, before um, Aaron Moore came along, um, before the Playwright Studio came along, before any of that came along, really, there was um, the Edinburgh Playwrights Workshop, um, which was really George Byatt was the kind of leading light of the, of that, um, uh, and that was how I first got any any exposure. For, and, and that was basically they, uh, you couldn't do it now because there are too many plays being written. But at that time, um, you could send off your plays to the theatres, and most of them wouldn't respond. But with tout ça change. Um, but ne but they have the Playwright Studio now. But uh, but but the, but the way it's the, the Playwrights um, the end of Playwrights Workshop, you just you would they would read a play in the order that they arrived on their doormat. They had no critical faculties, whatever. They just they would just do everything that was written, and it created it. And so people began writing things specifically for it. There was no money in it, but it just happened so that that was my Benny Lynch play was first read by those actors, and the actors went, wow, this is, I, I, they enjoyed it. They, they, they said it was good, so, they, so we then got together to do a production of it, and that's how that happened. Mm. Um, and so, and that, 
it's it, it only you only find out um, work talking to people in London or whatever that that's actually rather unusual. That culture of of that the play really only counts when it's live. That you really can't tell a, a play only re that that does seem to be quite specific to us. Mm. Um, and but and perhaps the the flip side of that is that these plays don't exist in any published form. So, but they mm. but they do exist, yeah, sort of in the yeah. folk memory of. Uh, but they they only they only really count when they're happening in front of people. Mm. Um, and it, it's also a reading of theatre that sees it in conjunction with the history of the performers and and the actors as absolutely. well. Not 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 sim not simply that. I don't mean to simply the playwright, but mm. but as also as a history of, of live performance, and, and 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 in the same way that. Uh, how memory works, and you know, there, there are specific styles mm. and, and performance styles that come out of, of mm. this tradition that then create exercises, that create a, a kind of pedagogy. And I'm thinking there's a nice expression that uh, Eugenio Barber uses when he talks about Meyerhold's work, and he says that an exercise is a hamlet of memory mm -hmm. and a hamlet mm -hmm. of knowledge. So there is a kind of style. Mm -hmm. A performance style that maybe links even historically to to the theatres that you're talking about, Sarah, mm -hmm. that are also transmitted yeah. through the way actors teach it, each other and are trained. And I mean, yes. it, it also trains that, that kind of tra also trains um, writers in a particular yes, way as well as yeah. actors. But yes. and and and, and, in, and it, what it trains you to do is to be quick, dirty, and effective. Um, mm -hmm. That that you have mm -hmm. so you have a, a, a very strong tradition of both performance and of writing in Scotland, where with limited um, resources, you will still you will still do your best. And sometimes, um, when Scottish actors and uh, playwrights and other theatre makers are exposed to too much money and too much time, they can slightly fall apart yeah. because they don't know what to do with it. Um, uh, but, but, but then, but then, then every, which is why I think there are particular experiences when uh, uh, I can't, when Hamish Glenn brought over I can't remember their names because they're, they're from Lithuania. I couldn't pronounce them even if I could remember them. Um, but they brought over a, a director designer team to, and, to do a production of the of the, was it the seagull, yeah. uh, and it was just amazing to see Scottish actors taken outside of their comfort zone mm -hmm. by an, a, an Eastern European yeah. theatre tradition. And, 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 and but so it, but it, very, it was very sensitive to the fact that these actors were very capable of giving you a performance really quickly that was really quite good. Mm -hmm. But then what what the directors did was they subverted, completely turned that inside out. And made them act against the text and all do all the things that you do in Eastern European theatre, which you don't do here. Um, and uh, it was an extraordinarily enriching experience. And, and I think that that's if there's something I think that's still kind of missing from the from the, the Scottish theatre culture, which we celebrate rightly. I think um, it's for me, it's that it's an, it's finding a different context in, into which to put those energies, because we all do what we do, and we can do it with the drop of a hat, pretty much. Um, but I'd really like to get challenged a bit more. I think, I think, well, I, I agree very much with what you say, but I, I do think that um, there is so much wastage of resources in, oh, yes. in Scottish theatre. Uh, like, perhaps in academia, the long march of the bureaucrats oh, has Lord. been uh, commensurate with the long departure of the artists. Hmm. And uh, there is, you know, there is very significant money ploughed into theatre. Mm. And an awful lot of it walks out the office door at five o'clock, having straightened the pencils. Mm. And is this um, true? my view is, is <laughs> that yes, if, if you could apply the budgets to longer rehearsal periods, not mm. to grandiose mm. sets, but to giving actors mm. and directors mm. and writers time mm. to work on, on yes. the script more thoroughly, mm. yeah. you would get 
better better results, and it would be less lashed together. And Cause I, th I think Mike Mike McKenzie and uh, and Lauren um, uh, Boswell, Cal uh, yeah, at Equity did some research recently. I, I don't know if it's published properly, but it might be quite interesting for you guys mm. um, about expenditure on the on theatre in Scotland, public expenditure, and a, a number of performances. And I think they found that the, the amount of money spent on um, Scottish theatre had multiplied by five or something since 1990, and the number of um, productions had gone down. So, the, so, the, so the amount, so the, so the amount of money is that. Ha, where's it all gone? But you know, that, that is, you know. Gone for accounting. It's gone for it's money. gone. <laughs> well, well, you know, that, I, I, I remember when I first went to the Travers in 1985. There were, were five people there working there, all together. Yeah. You know, and that included somebody, the, the box office manager, and the person who ran the bar. You know, and so, uh, but now you walk in and say, "Who are they, all these people? <laughs> yeah, and what do they all do all day?" Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, much bitter note, perhaps we should move on to <laughs> a bit more creative. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Randall, you, you've reviewed plays after plays after plays for years and, and years. I mean, what, what, what does that, because that's an element we haven't really talked about, is the, the mediator of, of, of the plays for the, the people who haven't yet been and they're deciding what they're going to do. It's a difficult question, which is so comprehensively answered and brings out the philosopher, and I can only recover a tiny comment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, 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 the remark which I think most bridges the gap that you're talking about was one made by Philip Price when he was trying to explain to somebody, I can't remember who, why they were bringing 784 into the citizens, uh, who, while they were doing the work you're describing and we were doing the other kind of thing. And he said, well, of course, both companies march to the beat of the same drum, but in completely different directions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, Absolutely. I think 
they, that we plundered and they plundered each other's work in an interesting way. I mean, there were all kinds of things in common. Giles Havergal hated the fourth wall. He would sit out in the rehearsal room and say, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and, and, um, but I think they were both yeah. vulgar in, in a good way. And, and I think they enjoyed the, 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 the thing that was with Scottish actors, which is the ignoring of the fourth wall, which is the, is the fact that there's the consciousness of the, or that the audience is there. I mean, that was, and, that was, and also, their choice of material was always transgressive. It was never uh, about supporting, a, the, here, here is the European canon. It was that if you were going to do Macbeth, or you were going to do, uh, then you were going to do Macbeth like no one had seen it before. And, it was, and, and that, that was when my initiation into, if you like, high theatre mm -hmm. was, the production of Macbeth with David Heyman as Lady Macbeth, done with no lighting, and that, that was that was my initiation into that. And, and you know, it's that, and so for me, again, it's in the personal pantheon, I, I also, I, although no, that, that in time of strife was at the Mitchell, I think, I think it was anyway. But you know, but 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 those two things don't sit at, at all uncomfortably for me. So why, so why would they sit uncomfortably for anybody else? Um, and it's, it's also, but I think there is a Glasgow Edinburgh thing, I think, which I, I, I think anyway with audiences. But when we, did the, we could do the Brothers Davenport at the Lyceum recently, which is great, but then take it to the sits and the roof comes off, which is great. Which is the way they did, but it's a there, is a there is a Glasgow Edinburgh thing, but it's also why rock bands um, record live albums at the Barrowlands. Um, because it, there's an audience who come to things in Scotland who are, who are eager to be entertained. Who are, who are, so, um, I, I, I do think that from, from various London openings that one, one has done in small London theatres, um, it, it is the kind of an audience sitting there with the kind of all right, impress me, <laughs> kind of, and it's it's just it's a it's a different feel. Um, as, whereas I, I hope that, and I think it's true. I don't think I'm just being sentimental. I think that there is a thing here of um, okay, what do you got? You know, and I think that that's a, yeah. it's a it's a it's a it's a really kind of healthy. Feel. I mean, it's not always the case, but you I think it's, you know... You mentioned it in case. Time of Strife. I, yeah. I, I mean, another Philip Price quote, but I think it's illustrative of what we had in common and what kept us uh, marching in opposite directions. <laughs> uh, after seeing In Time of Strife, Philip walked out of the theatre and said to John McGrath, marvellous play, John, tell me, where is Fife? LAUGHTER <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> it was he was, he was taking the piss though. Yes, he was. But um, but, but knowingly, and, I, you know, but it was, and again, but the, 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 way, the way that Giles Havergal—it's not just the art, the art on the stage; it's also the, particularly Giles's presence in that building was enormously important to the audience too. I mean, the way that David's presence is enormously important to Oren Moore. I mean, it's it's it, it, it's 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 a personal thing that he's recognisable. Giles was recognisable at the set. It was very it was very important. And when I was uh, 17, I said, I, I mean, I didn't know that the, the, the only ever did new plays by David McDonald. I didn't know that. Um, so I sent a script to Giles Havergal um, when I was 17 years old. Um, and he uh, wrote me a two-page letter back, you know, um, which I, I, wish, well, I, don't, I don't have. I wish I did. Um, my, mother, my mother may have it. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, because cause actually it turned, out, it turned out that she went to, that she grew up in the same Morningside neighborhood as Giles Havergal. Um, um, but anyway, uh, she, but she never she she never let me mi introduce her to him, which is like a, a sad thing. But anyway, but uh, but but, the, but he wrote this letter back and, and said we we don't we don't do new plays, and but this is very promising. Go to university, come back, and then talk to me again in three in five years, and then I did. So you know, it was great.
And uh, so, so, that, so even though they didn't do new Scottish plays, other than by the end of they didn't feel like aliens. They, they felt like they were part of the same, you know, part of the same thing. And, and again, they had they cast slightly different actors from London who walked beautifully, obviously. They did a bit of that. But apart from that, it was... You know, <laughs> I, I'm sure. I mean, I think, you, you know, it's no accident that Giles directed Men Should Weep. Absolutely. And, one, and yeah. when he did um, Fear and Misery in the Third Reich, yeah. He did it like a, a 74 show, yeah. you know, with the actors sitting hold. in a semicircle on the stage, and it was so reminiscent of, yeah. of that kind of work. So there was overlap and shared interest. And I don't think that... I know that some people felt a resentment towards the citizens mm. uh, that they didn't do new Scottish work and mm -hmm. that they didn't employ enough Scottish actors and so on and so on. But I think a lot of us working in the theatre were very grateful for the existence of that theatre. Yes showing us work that we would never yeah. have seen yeah. and, uh, you know, contributing to our theatrical education. Absolutely. <coughs> and, but again, and that, but that tension is not a bad thing. So that's the thing. Again, the, 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 uh, you know, I think, don't think resentment is a bad thing in, in, in the arts. I think it's, it's a, it can be a creative thing. Um, it's what keeps you, what gets you going, get, gets you up in the morning. Bit of jealousy and loathing. <laughs> 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 well, on that note, I mean, some other questions or thoughts or comments from uh, from some people, please. Yeah, I've come from a post-colonial tradition in Caribbean post-colonial tradition, forty years of it, and a constant search for not just a natural voice and a vision, but a vocabulary, an indigenous theatrical vocabulary that <coughs> can come from rituals that the public will understand and feel. Is there a vocabulary, a Scottish theatrical vocabulary being established? Do you see it around you? Do you see forms, frames that can, are clearly marked as yes. Scottish? Yes, I, well I certainly do and I think it's rooted in variety. Okay. I, I think that um, I, I could recount you endless shows from different companies over the years, but what they have in common is, is that Scottish love of quick change, of going from something mm -hmm. that is hellish funny <laughs> to brutally sad, to gay and musical, to serious. And... Uh, I'm convinced that that, uh, that that's something that appeals to Scottish audiences in a in a fundamental and long, long, long folk memory. I mean, it's there in the satire, and it pops up all the time. It was, you know, the most recent manifestation that was hugely successful was the Black Watch, mm -hmm. and and um, uh, song, yes, very important. Um, all kinds of song, not necessarily folk song. Um, indeed, um, Wildcats, great success, was underpinned by um, popular um, R&B, rock and roll uh, tradition. Um, and I think audiences, that's just more variety. Uh, and, and, yeah, and I think the variety also applies to language, the idea that you could have different registers of English, Scots, Scots, English, and, and, and that you could slide between them in the same show. 
and, and, and everyone will mm. understand what, what, that, what that register of voices mean. And I think that again applies to, I don't know, within, uh, I was, what I'd know more is with, um, like the work of Wole Shoinka, for example, in terms of Nigerian um, theatre, where you have a, a kind of sliding scale between mm. Yoruba and the English and, mm. and as it is spoken in different ways, and that, that strikes me as excitingly similar. Um, and I think there's a, there's a, uh, there's, um, uh, but, and I think that's, the, 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 maybe, I don't know if these are p things that are particular to Scotland, they feel particular, I don't, I don't really know, I mean it's just, you know, this is home. I think so. as a non-Scot. Yes, yes, I'm <laughs> interested in this. Maybe they are, but maybe they're not as well, in, mm. in the way that you mentioned Shoyinka and that form and the ability to, to switch between mm. registers mm. And, and, and a hegemonical language and a non-hegemonical language, that's a kind of, mm -hmm. Again, it, it's a format. It's like a a, theme, a, a form in itself that you, that you can use, and the particularly, like I, again, I remember the first time I went to see a Scottish play with my friend and colleague Grandy Stevenson. My heart sank. Oh my God, a Scottish play, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, but then we went to see. I think it was Border Warfare. I thought this is a this is like Ariane Mushkin, 1789. Sure. Um, so those, those four, and I think we had the discussion after, those forms I think that, that, that are particularly, well, yes. also uh, I mean, translate, and the, the relationship between the local. It's not particularly Scottish. Mm. Uh, the border warfare was hugely influenced by Orlando Furioso, yes. uh, Ron Coney's production at the Haymarket Ice Rink, which I went yes. to with John McGrath, and by 1789 yes, at the Roundhouse, which I went to with John McGrath. And when John came and said he wanted to do a big thing about the history of Scot relations between Scotland and England, mm. we decided let's do it in the tramway, mm. let's make it promenade, mm. let's... And we were, we were borrowing on the European tradition in, uh, in doing that. So, yeah, it's not, it's not Scottish. It's mm. what we're most familiar with because we're mm. working here. Yeah. But as you cast your mind back over the years, to all the work that you've seen. Yes. But I do think there is a particularly theatrical thing, which is, which is, if you if you have a play in which one character is always right and is always telling the truth, then that's perhaps a bad play. Um, so, so, the, so, if, so argument, it seems to me, is a, is a, is a much um, is a much better basis for a dramatic form. But it's also, I think, is a much better basis for national identity. That if national identity is an argument rather than a fixed thing, mm -hmm. I think you're, you're in much healthier territory. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the uh, one of the pleasing things I think about, about contemporary Scotland is that is that um, is the absence of a dominant narrative as to mm -hmm. what Scottishness means. I'm, I'm I'm rather pleased that that nobody can tell me what it means. Um, and that nobody really cares that much what it means. It just—it uh, just kind of—it just—it just sort of happens. It's sort of how we are, which I think is lovely, and, and also irritates people marvelously. And that, that could be related with the fact that there isn't a strong literary tradition in writing theatre, but more of a performance oral tradition. It could, could be. be related to that. Because again, I remember the, the debates about a play like *The Cheviot*. Whether it's local or international, and how could it ever translate because it's so rooted? Mm -hmm. But it was translated mm -hmm. into, you know, Mandarin Chinese yeah, was the last that's right, which you I wouldn't think. immediately have. Yeah. So there's mm -hmm. something in the form of yes. how it treats language and how it then it mediates language through theatrical languages that makes it translatable. Mm. And it transcends, you know, so the somebody local. saw it in, yeah. in, in Scots and yeah. then presumably thought that could be Chinese, but which, yes, you know, yes. you've got to have that. I, I think. Yeah, I was, I was wondering about uh, about this uh, coming back to this language issue, as you mentioned as, uh, as well, not being a Scotland, but um, when you when you when you think.
think of think of writing something or staging something, how much would you consider then when it comes to come to language? If you're talking about producing it in Scots or producing it in more standard English, and that if you want to want to for a more commercial reason, if you want to take the take the production, let's say somewhere else in in England, or if you want well. to attract a, a wider audience, I read just the other day that Edinburgh's uh, supposedly the European capital of culture, and that probably it would sell better if it's kind of a more more kind of internationally recognised language than very local, very local for a local audience. What what kind of contributions would you put into that before and when, while in the creative process? Well, I, I think in the days when I did have an agent before they fired me, um, they they uh, they did tell me that stop writing plays in Scots because they'll never get done anywhere where you're going to make any money. Um, and and so that uh, and that uh, did. Um, <laughs> but then, but then, you see, the thing is, uh, Scots, uh, Scots, Scottishness. I don't think it's ever just a matter of language. I think it's a matter mm -hmm. of feel as well. I think you know. I th but uh, I think that, that that is a consideration. But for me, Scots language is just, it, it's a, an additional available resource. You know, and that sometimes, I mean, for example, um, the most Scottish thing <coughs> I've ever done by a considerable distance is a version of Brecht's um, Puntilla and Saint Connect Marty. Um, which I did in uh, in a kind of heavy, seriously heavy duty countrified um, Scots, which but it wasn't again set in one particular part of Scotland. It drew my favourite words from everywhere, you know, and uh, because they were they seemed it seemed to me like an available resource, and it also seemed to me dramaturgically you know um, mm. coherent in that here was Brecht writing a play in German about Finland, um, which but he was uh, uh, but with all Finnish names and place names and. Uh, and and then and so I thought okay, but but let's keep the Finnish place names and the, some of the Germanic kind of sentence structure and all that, but make some of the words Scots and and I found myself um, getting a, an alienation effect going by accident, was because the uh, the actors didn't necessarily understand all the words that they were saying, but they would have to, but they would be gestural in the way that they would say them. So I thought, oh, that's good. That takes that Brechtian box. That's good. So and, and and it was very successful. Again, I mean, it, it worked very well. Um, so, but how translatable it is? We then uh, Hamish Glenn, who directed it in um, in Dundee and Land of the Sits, um, very successfully, then tried it again at the Belgrave Theatre in Coventry, and it went. That's it. No, <laughs> no, it didn't work. It didn't work. Nobody came in droves. So it was. It's, 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 it's interesting. I think. It, it, <laughs> You've touched on something earlier. It's not just about language. It's about uh, it's about an attitude. Uh, uh -huh. We did a play at the Citizens Theatre some years ago, and the chap who ran the Tricycle Theatre in, in Kilburn at the time came to the sits on Saturday night and said, oh, this is fantastic. This will go down a storm in Kilburn with my audience. And we said, lovely. Well, we'll take it. And, um, and it was in English. Mm. Scots accented English, but no, it right. wasn't full of Scots words. Cadbury, yeah. mm. And they hated it with a passion. Mm. Um, not yeah. because they couldn't understand it, but because they could understand it. And I think what they hated most about it was. Um, That's the best laugh of the night, dude, wasn't it? No, I think what they hated most about it was that very upfront, in your face. No fourth so wall. We're going to tell you a yeah. story, and we're going to. That makes me feel better about my flop in Coventry. Good. That's good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Well, I wonder actually whether, well, in fact, we do have to end because I know we'll have the, uh, whatever the next mob who always arrive with their popcorn will be arriving uh, any moment. So I think this would be a moment to thank you all very much. I mean, it, it's been um, both entertaining and an education and um, uh, great fun. And thank you. Um, and thank you all for um, coming and listening and contributing. And uh, I mean, I have this feeling that you know, at the end of one of Melville's novels it's just, uh, something further may follow at this master oh, <laughs> and I think something follow yeah exactly yes. you're a cultured man yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. um, no we'll have to think what what to do but clearly the kind of work that Olga's developing at the moment is something that you know we, we need to, uh, to, to to keep this dialogue going so thank you all very much thank you, thank you. Stopped him emigrating to become a slave driver in Jamaica. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>